what else have we got going on today? There's something after church today. What's the thing after church today? Yeah. We're going to Ribbon Loin as a class today. Whether you're a member of our class or not, come on out, meet some people. It'd be kind of cool. Uh, immediately after Sunday, immediate, not after Sunday school, Daryl would shoot me. Immediately after the morning worship service here is over, we're headed to Ribbon Loin for lunch. Um, most of you are familiar with Ribbon Loin and Hickson. You walk in the front door, you hang a right, there's that huge room. That's our room. We've got that reserved today. So we'll, we've got a, uh, uh, those disco balls already installed, ready to go. Yeah. We're that kind of Baptist, that's right. Disco rib. Wow. I, I, I have no direction I can go from there. It's awesome. <clears throat> it's awesome. All right, guys, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Bud. Where's your Bible, bud? Um, it's in your kitchen. Here you go. There you go, bud. I love you, man. All right, so we're going through a hundred of the key stories in the Scripture. Fifty from the Old Testament, fifty from the New Testament. We've already done five in the Old Testament. We're on number four of our first set of five in the New Testament. Got all my numbers straight, so that's good. And uh, what we're looking at today is discovering the character of John the Baptist. Now, the text that uh, this program that we're going through suggested that we use for John the Baptist covers like a half an inch of his life. So I'm going to expand that just a little bit because I got to looking, and we don't ever really come back to John the Baptist. And there's a key piece at the end of his life that's critical to understanding the beginning as well. So I want to make sure we do that. Now, <clears throat> many of you have made major purchases in your life, right? We've all made major purchases. The biggest of which is generally our house, right? What's a big purchase somebody's made in the last week or month or so other than your house? You may make, what's that? <laughs> Gas. No kidding. Jeez, I peaked. Drill, baby. Dr no, sorry. Um, the electric bill, yeah. Sorry about that. I can't do anything about it. Braces. There you go, Trish. Yeah, Julie and I had our first consult this past week. <laughs> that was that was it was the nicest doctor's office of any kind I had ever been in in my entire life. You walk in the waiting room and there's this little room on the side where the younger brothers and sisters can play video games. And I'm going, we are in the wrong place. <laughs> Cuz this guy's already got two pools in his backyard. He doesn't need a third. So just it was it was disturbing. Something else. Keep talking to me. Minivan. A minivan. There you go. Smart to do. Is anybody thinking about making a major purchase in the next couple weeks or months? Yes, Michelle. I seeded the pond here, sir. What do you think about, Michelle? Finishing your basement. Now, <clears throat> if you were going to finish your basement, what would you do first? I totally set you up for this. He had, he had no idea. He had no idea. When I saw you two sitting here, I was like, this is just hilarious. So what Michelle did, Michelle and I are friends on Facebook. If you're not friends with me on Facebook, please send me a friend request. My name is in the lower left-hand corner of the uh, handout. But Michelle sent me a, a message on Facebook and said, hey, since you know a few people, do you have anybody that you could recommend or refer me to for a basement reno? And I recommended you to Bud. Yeah, there you go. Keep it in the class, baby. Keep it in the class. <laughs> and 
what I got to thinking about was that's a great example of what's happening in this story, in, in, the, in the story of John the Baptist. Because what does John the Baptist do? He refers everybody to Jesus. They all flock out to the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the wilderness, to go see John. Because John is weird. John is weird. The, the passage that we're looking at today doesn't talk about the weirdness of John. But John wore camel skin. Camel skin wasn't in then either. Okay? It wasn't, I promise you. It just, it wasn't. Yes? <clears throat> A study on what? Malachi. Ooh, all right. Yes. Um, yeah, I asked, uh, Anna Grace read through the Bible last summer. It's my daughter. And she was reading through the prophets. And I asked her, I said, so tell me about the prophets. And she goes, um, they loved God. I said, yes, they did. Now tell me what you really wanted to say. They were weird, Daddy. <laughs> they were weird. This one laid on his side for over a year. And I was like, yes, why'd he do that? She said, because God told him to, and I still really don't understand that. I said, you and me both, babe, you and me both. I don't get it. But they were Weird. John was especially strange because he wore camel skin. He lived out in the desert. He was by himself. Um, what else? He ate locusts. Duh. Not the chocolate-covered kind, okay? Not the chocolate-covered kind. This is just straight-up locusts. Not on the menu at Ribbon Loin, praise Jesus. There we go. Um, yeah, so he was just a little bit strange. But what he did is he pointed or redirected or referred people to Jesus. So the key thought for today's lesson, up at the top of your handout, anyone can have an impact by pointing people to Jesus. Anyone can. Because if God can use somebody as weird as John the Baptist, surely to goodness there's hope for us. Right? I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Okay, so Luke chapter 3, here we go. <clears throat> Please be in prayer while I'm speaking that my voice holds up, because as you can probably already tell, it's a bit of a challenge this morning. I feel fine, everything's great, but it just sound awful. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Now, who wrote the book of Luke? Luke. I am not your father. No, sorry. Um, it's okay. Sorry, y'all will get that later. Um, what other book did Luke write? Acts of the Apostles, right? So two massive chunks of the New Testament this guy wrote. Now, was Luke an apostle? Yes or no? Was Luke an apostle? No, he was not. So how do you write a gospel? Yeah, he was there. It's okay. Hey, guys. He was there. He saw this stuff. It was amazing. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In your Bibles. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. There you go. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aturia, and the region of Traconitidas, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, how many of you were thankful that I did not call on you to read the first two verses? Yes. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I botched at least two names in there, but that's okay. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So, so why would Luke talk about all this stuff? Well, he's doing a couple different things here. One, he's setting the stage for the players that are going to be used later on in Scripture. Because many of these folks show up again either later in the Gospels or later in the Acts of the Apostles. 
But two, he's pegging a timeline. Okay, he's telling us exactly when these things occurred. So let's go back and look at a couple of these guys. Tiberius Caesar. Now, last week we talked about another Caesar. Anybody remember? Augustus Caesar, right? Augustus Caesar is not equal to Tiberius Caesar. He's two different guys. Tiberius Caesar is the second Roman emperor. So if he was the second, the first was Augustus. Yes, you're, you're listening. That's awesome. So now I, I talked about last week <clears throat> that when you begin to draw, do I have a marker? Is there a marker in there? Um, when you begin, this is one of the things I love about David. He jumps up before he knows where he's going. It's awesome. <laughs> this is how eager he is to help. I love it. So most of our family trees, right, you have uh, grandma, grandpa, grandma, grandpa, comes down, uh, father, mother, comes down, and me, right? It looks something like this. If you're from Alabama, it could have a slightly different construct, but it's okay. So, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. So the, the emperors in Roman times, grandma, sister, uh, cousin, second cousin, okay? Um, niece, nephew. Uh, son, sister, I seriously, I spent, I spent like 30 minutes trying to map this out to put a graph in there. I couldn't do it. It was just Wikipedia. They don't have anything that will show what this looked like because they're, you know, like, I'll, what, what's the, um, uh, ancestry.com will not graph this. It. It does not work. It absolutely does not work. So I say all that to say, if you want a, this is the father, and this is the son, and this is the grandson, you're not going to get it. It's just not how that works. So Tiberius Caesar was the stepson of Augustus, that's last week's Caesar, the great uncle of Caligula, the paternal uncle of Claudius, and the great great uncle of Nero. And they all went straight down in succession. So it was kind of like, it, it just, it's awful. So, Pontius Pilate. Now, where does Pilate show up again in the New Testament? Anybody remember? Something about washing our hands, right? He was the most sanitary guy in the New Testament, right? Because he was washing his hands. No, he, he washed his hands because, yeah, he, he was the one that gave the okay for Jesus to be crucified, right? So, so we, we stage him here at this point as well. Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee. Now, this is something I didn't know. I thought the Herod in the New Testament was one guy throughout the entire thing. And that's not at all what the case is. Where did my marker go? There it is. I got it. Thanks. So there's a Herod, the Great. There's a Herod, a Herod Agrippa, and a Herod Agrippa the Second. Okay? You're like, really? I didn't know that. How many of you knew that? There were four different Herods in the New Testament. That's awesome. You all go. Y'all are the Bible scholars. So I will know to ask you. Herod the Great is the one that had the kids killed when Jesus was born, okay? Herod is the guy that got John the Baptist, the character we're talking about today, thrown into prison and his head lopped off because Herod married his brother's sister. Told you, okay? Herod Agrippa, we're kind of fuzzy on this point, okay? Historically, kind of fuzzy on this point. We think that he had some DNA involved here, 
but we're not positive. Okay? Herod Agrippa shows up in Acts chapter 12, and he throws, um, was it James in prison or Peter in prison? Throws one of the apostles in prison. Herod Agrippa II shows up at the end of the book of Acts, and we never really get a clear, hey, this is who this is, this is who this is. The Bible just kind of uses Herod all the way through. So there's four different Herods in the New Testament. So a lot going on here. But what Luke is doing, Luke is telling us which time frame this is occurring in. He's narrowing it down. So he says Tiberius Caesar. Well, that's this range. And then Herod. Okay. This Herod. And then this guy. And then this guy. And this guy. And we kind of get down to somewhere around A.D. 28 or 29. Ish. Everything's kind of ish with the timelines in the Bible. Because depending upon what historical fact you peg a known date to, it can change your numbers by one or two or three years here and there. Now, how many of you are really passionate about the timelines in the Bible and knowing which date this occurred on? Exactly. Barry Cole. I love you. And since you're the only hand raised, I'm going to move on. (laughs) Cool. All right, so the Word of God, verse 2 came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, who lives in the wilderness? Here's my question. Who lives in the wilderness? Who lives? John lives in the wilderness. Thank you. That was, thank you, Captain Obvious. There we go. All right. <laughs> who lives in the wilderness? What type of people live in the wilderness? Wow. Say it again. Weird. weird people. That's your blank. John was weird. <clears throat> John was weird. He was a loner, right? He, he did not, and some of you are going, this is John the Baptist you're talking about. You shouldn't talk about him as weird. He was weird. He would probably tell you he was weird. He would tell you you're weird for not living in the wilderness. Okay? We'll find out in just a second. He didn't hold back. There was no filter on John the Baptist. Okay? Now, one of our pastors, Brian Smith, is bringing the thunder here this morning at 10 o'clock. Okay? So, when Brian walks up on stage... If he's crunching on a locust with no chocolate and comes out wearing head-to-toe camel skin, what are you thinking? What did the personnel committee do, right? Yeah, somebody lost a bet, right? That's pretty good. We're thinking, we need a new associate pastor, right? That's what we'll be looking for. Now, would you say that Brian was already communicating before he ever opened his mouth? Absolutely. Absolutely. John was preaching before he ever opened his mouth. The question is, what's the message that he's telling here? That's a long, long answer. But when he does open his mouth, because, uh, let me back up just a second. So he's preaching before he ever opens his mouth, right? Do we, we all kind of agree that he's communicating some message. Many people today feel that, and I'm going to use this term, um, lifestyle evangelism. Have you ever heard this term? Lifestyle evangelism. It's basically, if I live a good, moral, upright life in front of my coworkers and peers and friends and family, they'll learn about Jesus Christ. Or at least they'll want me to act. They'll ask me about why I'm different. Now, I'm not going to make a judgment on whether lifestyle evangelism is right or wrong. I think we are called to live a holy and upright life. But that does not negate the fact that we're also called to tell visibly and verbally people about Jesus Christ. And what I love about John the Baptist is it's not just exterior. Because when he opens his mouth, who does he talk about? Jesus. That's right, because he's the only one worth talking about. It's awesome. So what does John say? So John the 
John the Baptist opens his mouth and refers people to Jesus because Jesus is the only one worth being referred to. Right? Because I could tell you all about how great my dad is, because I think he is. I think he's awesome. I think he's an awesome guy. If you mixed um, Cool Hand Luke and Andy Griffith, you get my dad. <laughs> that is my dad. I thought my dad had more great one-liners than anybody I'd ever heard until I saw the movie Cool Hand Luke. And then I realized he just ripped off Cool Hand Luke my whole life. <laughs> I had no idea. I, had no, I got him the DVD, and he won't watch it because he's got the whole thing memorized already. I was like, well, of course you do, because you've been quoting it to me my whole life. But anyway, all right. Verse 3, so we get into what John's doing here. And he, John, went into all the region around the Jordan, the Jordan's a river, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, what was Luke's occupation in life? <clears throat> he was a doctor. And the word remission has a very specific medical usage, right? What does remission mean? You're like, yes, I've heard of that, right? It, it means what? Or you're in the process of recovering, right? It's, it's, it's waning. It's going down. It's in remission. It's retreating. Okay? So let's look at that. Preached a baptism of repentance for the retreating of sins. A retreating of the impact of sin. Because when we're lost, sin rules. But when we get saved, sin doesn't rule. It's not the way it works. Jesus rules. So sin's impact is retreating. And hopefully, the longer we are saved, the more we are sanctified, the more we become to look like Jesus Christ, the impact of sin is in remission. Isn't that a great term? I love that. It's a great visual. Because sin is a cancer. You, I mean, it, it is a cancer. It will, it will kill us. So preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, did it, did it say a baptism for the repentance of sins? Is that what the text said? No. A baptism of what for the repentance, for the remission of sins? A baptism of repentance. The repentance, the turning, if you will, is what causes the salvation. The baptism is not what causes the salvation. Okay? John the Baptist, it's an unfortunate name because it almost implies that was his only message, was baptism. His message was Jesus Christ. His method was weird. His activity associated was baptism. And what he gets remembered for is the baptism, which I think is kind of strange. Right? Of all the things about his life, because he's a weirdo, dressed strange, had a strange diet, just different. So what does he say? Verse 4, as it was written in the words of Isaiah, and this is Isaiah 40, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So what was John's job? John's job was to prepare the way for the Messiah, right? That was his job. It was his calling. This person was specifically singled out in the Old Testament and described prophetically that would come before he would, he would run before, the forerunner of the Messiah, to describe and to show everybody, he's coming. He's here. Now, what's amazing is that the text that he chose here, if you read Isaiah 40, it's, it's an amazing text. We don't have a chance to go into that. But look at verse 6. And all flesh shall, shall see the salvation of God. I love the play on words here, right? Because the salvation of God is God become flesh. 
So the flesh sees the flesh and gets it. Because if we only had the Old Testament, could we understand salvation? Absolutely, yes. But when we have Jesus, we can see it. It's flesh and blood. God is fleshed out in a manner, in a construct that we can relate to. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Yes? Keith, does that make sense? Sure, okay. We're going to do jumping jacks here in a minute, Keith. Verse 7. Then he said, John said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. And these people came out to what? Be baptized. So when Brian gives the invitation this morning and people come forward, how do we respond to those people? This is awesome. Great. Fantastic. How did John respond to those people? Brood of vipers. Now... I, I can tell you, I grew up in a place that had a lot of snakes. <clears throat> the only thing worse than one snake is a whole bunch of snakes. Right? You don't want to be around a whole bunch of snakes. He's calling them, you bunch of snakes. This is awful. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And those were the people that responded positively to his message. <laughs> Refer back to John. It's weird, okay? Totally different way of doing ministry here. Now, what John is talking to them, he's telling the religious people that the faith of their fathers would not be enough for them. The faith of their fathers would not be enough for them. There was a a great awakening in the United States uh, 150, 200 years ago-ish, and there were several preachers that said, the faith of your fathers is not enough for you. Because church membership was defined by whether your grandfather or your father was a member of the church. And if they were in, then you were in. And this whole generation of preachers came along and, and read the scriptures, praise God, and went, oh, my eternal destiny is decided by me. And that puts all the responsibility on my shoulders. It's not my mama, it's not my daddy, it's me. Whole different level of engagement and responsibility. Now, this is not a popular message, right? This message of, if you don't repent, God will pick among the stones and raise up a generation. Can you imagine walking into a group of Americans and saying, if you don't repent, God will wipe America off the map, and raise up from the stones a new nation and bless them. How not to get elected to Congress. <laughs> right? That's not going to work. And this was John's approach. So, verse 10, the people asked him. This is in the imperfect tense, which means they asked him repeatedly, saying, what shall we do then? I think they were getting it. Verse 11, he answered, them, and, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics... Let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him, do all, let him do likewise. John tells them to get engaged. To get engaged, right? Uh -huh. Verse 12, then the tax collectors, and the tax collectors were hated, 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 the Jewish tax collectors especially, because the Jewish tax collectors were raising revenue for the Roman government. So we're assisting in the domination of another culture on our society. 
Yay. These are great folks. But the tax collectors came out to be baptized too, which, you know, God can save the IRS too, which is awesome. <clears throat> that was funnier in my notes, but that's okay. <laughs> the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Which I think is hilarious because he just kind of told them in verse 11 what to do. But I think, I think they might have been asking for a more specific answer just for their, for their role. And he said, verse 13, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. Because there were, there were tax rates that they could go out and enforce. And anything above the tax rate was pure profit for them. They stuck in their pocket, and that was that. Yes? Matthew was, uh, was one of these that was baptized under John? I would say, this is a, you caught me cold. I would say no, because Jesus walked directly up to Matthew and said, come follow me, and he left from there. There's no implication that he was already a follower of Christ or, or adhering to the ways of John the Baptist. Would anybody... Non, solid, somewhat, okay. Cool. Challenge if you want, that's cool. I, you caught me cold. That's a good question, though. But Matthew was absolutely one of these guys that was hated. And he went back to his own culture and said, oh, there's a better way. Which, yeah, <laughs> perhaps. So, John was telling them to be honest in their business. He was telling them to be honest in their business. <clears throat> Y'all aren't praying hard enough here. Come on. Verse 14, likewise, the soldiers, now the soldiers came out to be baptized, which that's kind of cool. What shall we do? So John said to them, do not, imit, or do not intimidate. Uh, I love this word. In the, in the Greek, it is, it's a duo seismos. It's double shake. So the idea is that just because I'm big and can rough you up, I shouldn't do it. Might doesn't make right with Jesus. It's a, it's a really big deal. So just because I'm big and I can double earthquake your butt, don't, don't do that, right? Don't intimidate anyone. That's not like an MMA move or anything. I just totally made that up, so that was, sorry. Don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. That's, that's going to be in the back of my head the rest of the lesson. It's awful. And be content with your wages. So what does John tell them? John tells them to be content. Because the soldiers were in effect quasi-bounty hunters at this time. The more people they could rustle up and bring in, the more money they made. And if they falsely accused somebody, so what? We made more money with it. Big deal. I'll throw my weight around. That's what they did. He said, be content. Verse 15, now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned where? Where did they reason? In their hearts. I had never noticed this before this week. Whether he was the Christ or not, John answered out loud. Who else in the New Testament did this? Jesus did this all the time. They would be reasoning in their hearts trying to figure out how to trick him up, and he would answer them out loud, which I'm just going to take at least one or two good steps backward at that point. <laughs> right? That's just crazy. And John did it too. I never noticed this before that John did it too. But verse 15, they were wondering if he was the Christ or not. Now there were hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies around exactly what the Messiah had to look like, exactly what the Messiah had to do. John did not fill these. John had done no miracles, right? But his message was so motivating and so impactful and probably, this is conjecture, so different than anything else they were hearing in this time 
that they said, is this the Messiah? And I love John's answer. I indeed baptize you with water, but, but what? Big O, that's right. Big O, one is mightier than I that is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I'm good with that part. That's good. And then he adds two words that kind of freak me out a little. And fire. You know what this word means in the Greek? Fire. <laughs> like light a match. Put the lighter on. This is fire, a literal flame coming up. Yeah. Kind of scary, I think, just from my perspective. So, verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. This is all uh, farmer, techno farmer speak here. Gather the wheat into his barn. The wheat is the good stuff. But the shaft, that's the stalk, he will burn with unquenchable fire. No mincing of words here. He's saying the Messiah is coming and he's going to set everything straight. He's going to separate you into two groups, the true and the false. And that's it. There's no gray area in between. There's no special true. You're in or you're out. You're true or you're false. John puts himself above or below Christ. Significantly. Below, below the feet of Christ which I think is a really cool place to be. Um, but John speaks the truth about Christ. And he ends up going to heaven for it. Which is a pretty good reward. Verse 18. <clears throat> and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, goofy chart, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut up John in prison. So John speaks the truth about Herod as well and goes to prison for it. So he spoke the truth about Jesus and he spoke the truth about Herod. Now, this is the end of the text that, I was, uh, that our structure told me to talk about today, but it's not the end of the story of John the Baptist. So flip over to Luke chapter 7 real quick. A couple pages. Luke chapter 7. Verse 18. This is, um, we're not sure exactly how far into the future this is. Verse 18, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, John the Baptist, in prison, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? I'm sorry. Was John wishy-washy in any way, shape, or form about his message about who Jesus was and that he was the Messiah early on? Not at all. This is the man. And then chapter 7, do we look for another? And verses 20 and 21, to me, almost imply that Jesus just does these miracles in front of John's disciples just to show them this is the testimony that you can take back, which I think is pretty cool. Because even when Jesus is proving who he is, he blesses those around him. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John. How many of you heard that song, Go Tell John? You know that song? It's a really cool song. You should Google it. The things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So what else do you want to add to that list? That's a pretty impressive list. And, and this is the strangest verse in all of Scripture for me. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Huh? Does it seem to be consistent with what we know about John? 
Not exactly. What is the word? Does anybody else have a different word for offended in your translation? Stumble. Yep. Anybody know what the Greek word is? Scandalos. It's the word for scandal. To be tripped up. <clears throat> Blessed is he who is not tripped up because of me. Now, where was John at during this time? He was in prison. You know what Jesus is telling John here? I'm not getting you out. The blank there is that there are no bows. B-O-W-S. There are no bows. You're like, bows? Where did bows come in? Here's where bows come in. Many people think that the Christian life, when you become a Christian, Jesus is going to put this big, beautiful package right in front of you, and it's all going to be wrapped up nice and neat with a pretty little bow on top. Here you go. Here's your Christianity. Go for it. Isn't it beautiful? I've been waiting my whole existence just to give you this, picture, this package because it's all about you. That is not the gospel. There are no bows. There are no bows. Because John's path was to have his head cut off. Because that's what happened. Head lopped off, put on a platter, brought to Herod. And Herod gave it to who? His stepdaughter-ish niece. I, the lines crossed, I don't know still. Um, but what does John help us to do? And I'm done in one minute, don't worry. John helps us to move from the little lowercase word of the Old Testament to the uppercase word in the New Testament, right? The, the papyrus and ink, if you will, to the flesh and blood. And he tells us that just because you understand this link doesn't mean that everything's going to work out just perfect and be fine for you. That's not what the message of Christianity is. The message of Christianity is not, it'll all be great here and now. The message of Christianity is, Jesus is all in all. And he will fix it all one day. But not necessarily here. And it's not like this rah-rah message, right? Because you're all looking at me going, gee whiz, Jim, that was incredibly depressing. <laughs> Sometimes following Jesus is. But did John renounce his message? How do we know that? He lost his head, yeah. right? He stuck with it. And that's the point. So the blanks real quick. Number one, God uses weird people. Yeah. He really does. Jesus is the big old one. That almost sounded like I said big old, didn't it? But no. Big O. O. One. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. Uh, number three, tomorrow can be different <clears throat> because Jesus changes everything. Your tomorrow doesn't have to look like your today. Your today may suck. I don't know. It might. But it doesn't have to look like that tomorrow. So what does that have to do with me? What do I do with that? Number one, God wants to use me right now. Even if you're in the wilderness, even if your clothes don't match, even if you have a strange diet, God wants to use you right now. Number two, my story is unique. Is anybody else in the Bible like John? Not exactly, no, not really. <laughs> Certainly not in the New Testament. Right? Nebuchadnezzar probably got close with the whole goofy downward path, but that's probably as close as it got. Uh, and then number three, I must be obedient now. Right now, I must be obedient. So, 
That's John the Baptist. Now, some of you are going, what's that extra stuff? Well, this was like 15 minutes of, oh my goodness, I don't know where this came from. And I don't know who it's for, but I'm supposed to put it on the page, and somebody out there is supposed to have that. It's not part of the lesson today. Somebody out in this room is supposed to have that. So if the extra part's for you, go for it. But that's not part of the lesson today. All right? I don't, I don't believe that I am divinely inspired, but this was just kind of weird. So I put it in the handout. Now, at your tables, we've got a half sheet of paper. That's for our prayer requests. Write down your prayer requests, pray over those as a table, and then we'll skedaddle. And again, lunch is ribbon loin immediately after the service. Now, I put a deposit in on that room. So if I hear about you going to Ichiban or something, I'm going to get weird on you, okay? All right. Thanks for coming, guys.